Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to season two, episode three of the My Life in Rugby interview series as we take a further look ahead to the Guinness Six Nations by sitting down with one of its most famous voices. Since the turn of the century, our next guest has been a leading voice of rugby in Ireland, if not the voice and the man behind the words describing so many iconic moments, March 2009 being one great example. Joining me to look back on the memory of her career and highlights is the legendary Ryan Nugent. So welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thank you very much. You're making me sound old. It's not a good start. We're not going to get on well. You make me sound old. <laughs> ah, well, if, any, if anyone asks, you know, you start an RT at the age of 13 and, you know, would go. You know what? That's a really nice thought. But actually, uh, I did. I was only thinking about it today because I knew I was going to be talking to you. And I was thinking about it in the car on the way. And I am, I am going into my 25th year as a commentator. I started in 1999 and this is 2024. So no matter what way you you slice it and dice it, it's my 25th year and I'm only 51. So there you go. Not, so not that too means far off. <laughs> I was 25 when I started, uh, yeah. give or take, maybe 26. Yeah. So yeah, I've been, I've been really lucky. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I, I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> That's not what I'm here for. We, we will look back in a minute, but because the Six Nations are around the corner, I do want to get into that because the excitement's kicking in for, for everyone else. Is it kicking in for you or is it just panic stations are getting as much preparation done as possible? Listen, it's, it's, um, Outside of the first couple of years of the job, there was it's never really been panic stations for me. It's too much. There's too much enjoyment in it. It's too much fulfillment in it. Uh, it's a it's a passion and a, uh, a privilege. And therefore, passion and privilege don't tend to come with a sense of panic. Um, what there is is a sense of uh, determination to try and do a good job uh, when you go off to do and and as you know I've, I've I've left RT and my Six Nations involvement is now on the world feed and, and what that effectively means is outside of Ireland and the UK all the broadcasters that buy the Six Nations take the world feed commentary and that world feed so that's in Sky in New Zealand and Supersport in South Africa and uh, Stan Sport in um in Australia, Premier Sport in Asia, Flow Sport in the United States, any of the places that that the Six Nations goes, the big territories and the smaller ones take the world feed. They tend not to send over their own commentators because it's too far away and they take the world feed commentary. So uh, it, that's a real privilege to do that. Uh, and and you realise how many Irish people are living abroad when you do that because you get uh, Twitter or X as it is now, send people sending you notes and pictures and watching it in pubs and bars around the world. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something that I really look forward to. It is a it is a proper privilege, and uh, no panic at all. But really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. I, th- I think we're all in the same boat now. You kind of get to the stage where it's like, right, Europe is done. It's Six Nations time. You know, you think yeah. of springtime. That's what it is. It's like the Masters and golf, and you're just right. 
Now right, you're 100 percent right. It's it's one of those sporting moments in the year that signifies a change. I mean, it isn't. You know, by the time the Six Nations is done, winter will be done. Uh, it may not be yeah. done when it's starting, but it'll be done when it's finished. Uh, and yeah. you're right. Um, uh, the Masters kind of takes you from spring into early summer, doesn't it? You're you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. So it's it is a landmark uh, um, moment in the sporting calendar, no matter what your your first love of sport is, uh, but it, it, it's obviously all of our first love of sport. So yeah, it's a big day. Yeah, absolutely. And before we kind of look back in your career, we might just go back to the start because it's, it's so different nowadays, you know, the coverage and what's expected, like even just social media, it's important to be on social media now if you're a pundit and all that, but would you mind taking us back through kind of the start of your career to as a the sports landscape? I'm not going to say dark ages, all right, Jesus. But like the change in production, research, you know, even rights, rights distribution is so different to what it was. Like it must be, it must have been a very fast paced last 25 years or so. Yeah, I mean, it, like it no, there hasn't been one moment where there has been a fundamental change that has changed everything. It's been incremental on all the areas that you, uh, that you raise. Um, uh, and so let's talk a little bit about all of them if we if we can individually. So so in terms of the notes and preparation, so I can remember rocking up to my first World Cup, which was my first gig in, in 99 um, and really struggling to find uh, information. There was a database that you could only access in the media room. Uh, at the 99 World Cup. And it was player profiles that were pretty much generated by the individual um rugby unions and I remember really struggling to get proper information and so when Georgia rocked up or whoever it might have been Romania or Uruguay or whoever it was like it was that you were relying on but never felt like 100% secure information now it's everywhere like that has been a huge change in those 25 years there is no excuse not for knowing what teams X played for, what, how many tries Y has scored, like how many times they've come on as a substitute. I mean, it's endless. Statistics and data is now, there is no end to it. Um, so, so that has been a fundamental change. I think how you use that information is really important because there is the temptation to turn the commentary or there might be the temptation to turn the commentary into a data-driven experience. And I don't think that's the role. That's my view, and and I'm I'm I don't think that's an antiquated view. I think it's it's a view that people there is an amount that of data people want to frame their understanding of what's going on, but there is a finite point where they want you to stop giving them data and just enjoy the game with them, and and you've got to try and find that line. So that that's a challenge uh, in terms of the production. I mean, I guess we've gone from six and seven and eight cameras to 25 and 28 and 30 cameras. And there's cameras on the buses when they're coming in and there are drone cameras and there are blimp cameras and there are cameras on each individual player. And there are, cam- you know, there's cameras everywhere. Sound as well, referee, you know, all that production stuff has changed listening to the TMOs. And that's been brilliant. I think that's been a great addition to the coverage, albeit at times it can get a bit slow and a bit pedestrian. Still think it's a great way to to do it, and by and large, it works despite the general frustrations. But the technology being driven by people, and people are going to make mistakes, and people are going to have interpretations. Let's not go there. It's been a great enhancement in the in the game, in, in my view. Yeah, the rights. Yeah, sure. It used to be BBC and RT and French televisions only that that had the rights, and that's changed. 
Not maybe as much as you'd expect it to. It's been Six Nations in particular has been a free to air option still with RT, still with BBC and ITV with Virgin in Ireland also, of course, and still on free to air television in France. Not that way with all rugby as it was when I started commentating 25 odd years ago because Heineken Cup or Champions Cup as it is now, Investec Champions Cup would have been on on the free to airs, not anymore. Uh, there was no URC. Jeez, I am old. Um, but when that the first version of that, that first iteration of that came along, uh, the Celtic League, it was on free-to-air television. So, yeah, a lot of stuff around the periphery on the Sky, BT, TNT, Viaplay, Premier, TG Carr have also played their role. There's a lot more broadcasters. I think there is a, there is a, a frustration from rugby supporters that there are there are too many broadcasters involved in order to watch URC Champions Cup top 14 uh rugby world cup uh six nations november internationals you really do need two or three subscriptions on top of your free to air and and that can be a frustration and i get that it it is very disparate for for a viewer to try and grab a hold on and it, and I, I and yet it needs to be in order to generate the revenues so so there's a tricky balance to find there. That has, yeah. again, another fundamental change. But look, everything changed and everything will continue to change and evolve. Uh, if you're the same person now or the same, doing the same thing now in 24 years, five years, the same way, uh, you probably haven't evolved a huge amount. So everything evolves, everything changes, everything moves on. Hopefully, by and large, for the better. Not always. <laughs> Not always, but most of the time. And you could probably point to the likes of Netflix documentaries, you know, like something like that was just not a thing. I know we had like living with the lions and all those back in the days, but they were coming out like, you know, on, on video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sporadically. Yeah, yeah. And... On video. Now you're showing your <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm not, I'm not that young, lad, but you know, <laughs> it's, it just, it does change. And it's probably for the better in some regard, as you said, because even, you know, you talk about TNT, BT, Sky, they changed how we cover the game. You know, even TG Gahar, they're, probably have the lowest budget of any rugby broadcaster, but they're doing things that no one else does in terms of they start to interview gonna... players before the game. Do you know? They, 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 they and I think the broadcast industry in general has done the game of rugby a power of good in terms of its coverage. You know, I, I think the, the innovation in rugby, if you compare it with soccer, for example, has been in terms of the engagement with the players, the 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 ability to move around the stadium and interact with the coaching staff, etc., is just there's no parallel with football as an example, um, or or indeed with with Gaelic games coverage. You don't get to interview coaches halfway through a game in any other sport mainstream um, that you do in 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 rugby. Like so, there've been lots of innovations, lots of 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 things tried one or two things have tried and failed but there you go that's the only way you find out I, th- I think I think the industry and the sport gets a pretty high mark for at least trying yeah absolutely and that's that's always a good thing you yeah. know the fact that they are trying they are looking because there's plenty of things that rugby don't try at either you know so like yeah. you have to take the good with the bad yeah. I, I do want to touch on just the commentary that you went into sure. obviously it's it's what you're synonymous for, but like, was that always the end goal for you, or or how did you find yourself? Yeah. I think ninety nine, you said, was your first. Yeah, it your wasn't. First game. It wasn't a goal at all. It wasn't a goal at all. And um, I was uh, happily working away as a reporter and presenter in RT, and I started there in maybe ninety four uh, as a 
as a on a, as a kids uh, sports TV presenter, and then I kind of graduated to Sunday night magazine or, or roundup program of the of, of results program. And then in '99, the World Cup was on, and the head of sport at the time, a uh, guy called Tim O'Connor, who was my uh, original mentor, and, and Niall Cogley, who I still work with to this day, were were looking around and they knew they, there was three matches in uh, in the Rugby World Cup in 99 on the same day and they only had two commentators in Fred Cogley and Jim Sherwin. About three months before the World Cup started, they said to me, look, we want you to try and commentate. And I was like, no way, absolutely not going to happen. And But Tim um, was a big man and not the sort of fella you said no to. Uh, so in my head, I was going, no, no, no. And what came out of my mouth was, oh, okay. Not sure how this is going to work out, and they sent me down. There was a training center in Orte at the time, and they sent me down and they put on an old game. They killed the commentary and said, "Do it," and and I and I did. And at the end of it, uh, there was Tim was sitting behind me, and and he said to me, "That was genuinely awful, but at least you did it." <laughs> and and he said, "Work on it. We'll see where we are in a couple of months." And and I worked on it, and then in. My first game, I did a trial match, which was not on 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 RT at the time uh, between Georgia and Romania. It was a warm or not a warm up game. It was a pool game that wasn't covered on RTE at that time. And then my first live game on RT was Fiji against England in the quarterfinal of the '99 World Cup. And off we went, uh, and and immediately I came off that first gig where I was sick with worry uh, beforehand. I was a smoker back in the day. Uh, forgive me for saying it. And I smoked so many cigarettes and drank so much coffee. I was sick before I started um, and with the nerves. And and it, and it was hugely daunting. Like it really is daunting. The one thing I'd say to you about commentary is there's no safety net. You know, it's the, there is the adrenaline pump and the concentration levels and the, and the, the whole experience is one of just a tightrope walk without a safety net and and it's a wonderful buzz but when you have an understanding of what you've got yourself into you can manage that at the beginning of your career you're like you're hearing in your ears three two coming to you in five four three and you're like how in god's name did i get myself into this and then they go you're on and you stumble through the first couple of words and then you somehow find a rhythm you hope which I kind of did. And and then you come off the other end and you go, whoa, I'm going to try that again. I want to try that again. And and I was really lucky, really, really lucky in in that Fred and Jim, uh, from my perspective, were towards the end of their careers. And, and, and by the time 2004 came around, five years later, they were both Fred had gone in 2002. Jim, I think, finished in 2004. And all of a sudden, 30 odd years of age I was the guy who was in the box seat and and no one said you're not doing it and I was like okay I'm gonna keep going and then I get I get a Heineken Cup final for Munster in 2006 which is probably the first really big game I, I did like in terms of it being a close to a national occasion and that's another level from from just doing a commentary when when you're doing something that kind of goes beyond just the the mainstream of the sport yeah, and then I did Six Nations in 2006, and you know what? I got I got really lucky, and I've been really lucky the whole way through that no one has said you're not doing that anymore. And and I've been lucky with with my colleagues in RT to start with, and then laterally with you know with TNT or BT and Channel Four and 
obviously Premier Sports and have all been incredibly good to me and given me opportunities. Um, Virgin at the World Cup, I never thought I'd, I'd work for them. And there you go. And 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 I'll keep doing it as long as people keep asking me. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great outlook to have in it. But before we move on, because I decided to look it up, do you remember much about that England-Fiji game? It was a World Cup quarterfinal playoff because I have it here in front of me. If oh, you you're need joking it. me. <laughs> I got it up so, here. So the thing I remember, the thing I remember about it is getting, unlike today, you got the Fijians maybe 24 hours beforehand and you didn't, like they weren't playing all of them in French clubs. Uh, like, and, and the first thing you look at is the names and you go, oh my God, how am I going to get those out of my mouth? Because they're just not natural to me. In the same way that lots of international commentators looked at Donegal Callahan's name and went, "What do you do with that?" Yeah. Um, and and I didn't know anybody to ask. So, it, like with when the French names came along, you could pick up the phone to somebody in French television and and ask them to work them through if you weren't sure. Um, but the Fijians, I think there was a guy called. There's a name at the back of my head, either playing fourteen or fifteen, called Tika Mama Kogai. Um, I don't have that in front of me now, but I'll take your uh, reference. And there was a guy called Uliana who played full back, but if you saw the way his name was spelt, you'd... Uh, you'd oh, I, I have it here now, it would, yeah. It that would is... freeze you. <laughs> um, there was Tikamama guy, Uliana, and then there were... I mean, there was there was just... There was just a, a cacophony of noise that I made during the match. There's also Nicky Little, it. which is probably Nicky Little the played nice half, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot of Nicky Little in that commentary, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Not so bad. And it's, I mean, 99 World Cup, that, that day in 1999, we don't talk about an Irish rugby circle, so I think it's a that good day it. to move off of, because yeah, it's the yeah. same day as But It is. I remember being in the airport on the way home when Ireland were playing Argentina in Lance and not believing what I was hearing people telling me. Yeah, it was... Yeah. For my time, thankfully. I only know the good days <laughs> and the good days of what we get onto because I think when I told people close to me when I was finalizing guests that you were one of them, they were like, Oh my god, like proper we're gonna nerd out now on the nostalgia. So we're gonna get into that now. It's the reminiscence section. Um and you can you can sit back and enjoy now because quite frankly, like you're the focal point of many major Irish moments, RT and yourself across the two thousands. Like just from a broader point. Like you look at Munster coming through in the two thousands, European rugby, Irish Irish teams didn't do much at the European stage, and then Munster come across the two thousands. What was that like covering them? That must have been exciting. Oh, it was beyond exciting. It was there. It was it was a lot going on at that time. There was a momentum behind the whole thing, and then there was a momentum behind the coverage as well, which kind of. Uh, had grown into a life of its own with George Hook and Brent Pope and, and Tom McGurk and and they used to be up on the old in the old Thoma Park up in the corner on the scaffolding and there was a little studio that was built up there and people was like it was like <laughs> it was like arriving into into a uh into I what I guess was like arriving into a church back in the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and there were just people everywhere, and the lads were like, uh, were like, like the priest coming to say the, the to say the mass. Um, <laughs> some priest, um, and uh, look, it was it was they were wonderful, wonderful days, and that was a phenomenal roller coaster to be on, culminating in in what happened in two thousand and six, and and made even better by the such devastating, disappointing losses in the three, four, five years. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing better than that final payoff 
if things have gone badly beforehand or if they've near you know if they've nearly happened which they had on a couple of occasions but but there was it was a great team great players great people in those players like people that I I'm still in contact with today and people of just the most fabulous individuals that you uh, you got to meet and 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 it was a, it was very much the team of the people in Munster and even the people that came in from the outside the Langfords and the Williamses and those guys were as Cork and Limerick as you were going to get you know they were they were brought in and brought into the bosom of the of the community and they and they paved it back in spades and they were uh, when you talk about the imports that came in and have had an impact on Irish rugby over the last 25 years it started with guys like Langford and Williams and then probably went through guys like Rocky Elson in Leinster and Eason Asewa in, in Leinster as well and and then the coaching guys like Lancaster and Farrell who've come through as well Roundtree down in Munster Andy Friends had a huge impact over in Connacht and 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 that along with what's happened domestically with the playing ability and and development over the years is is the full story but it definitely that feels like the period that 2000 and from 2000 up to 2006 that six years was the kind of the birth of of what we would consider now to be the professional Irish rugby setup that that we all enjoy and has prospered so well yeah absolutely and like 2006 probably like it's it's easy to forget Ireland won a Triple Crown in 06, if I remember correctly. Oh, your um, memory. I have no notes in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that was the year Shane Horgan. I think it was as well, yeah. Um, another incredible day on Paddy's Day. Like we could get into that for half an hour if we really wanted sure. to. But like those two weeks, the semi-final, the all Irish semi-final in Lansdowne Road, and the final in Cardiff, like from a personal point of view as a broadcaster. Do you ever do you take a step back during those weeks and just go, "This is major"? Because you did mention it earlier on, but like these are essentially national events. Yeah, you. So, so what I would say, and I've said this before, is first and foremost for me, it's about a performance, okay? And that's that. There is a there's a kind of it's not an act because it isn't acting. There is a genuine passion and and emotion involved in what you're doing, and that is the game piece. And then there is what I call a national occasion piece, which is where it's beyond the individual sport and it, it, it gets into communities and, and you get casual viewers, viewers that mightn't show up for uh, another, that may only show up two or three times a year for a big game. Um, and, and, and you do become aware on those occasions and, and definitely that semi-final and final in 06 were, were, were big occasions that, Ireland gave a Croke Park, enormous uh, occasion. The women's team playing in a Grand Slam, first time a women's match had ever been on. Big, it felt like a big occasion, um, and and many many other uh, uh, days beside. But but to answer your question, yeah, you 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 do take a step back and go, wow, this is special. There's no question, but you do that. But you also take a step back and go, okay how are you going to handle this? Because, because this weekend is not the day to have a bad day at the office. You know, <laughs> like the Ireland England matches still stands out specifically as being that day of all of the days. And there have been so many I've been grateful for that. I was the most nervous in terms of the actual broadcast, not because I was worried about the commentary, but I was worried about all the stuff that went around it. 
and how that you would handle that if it went wrong, if there was booing in the anthem or if there was of the English anthem, if there was, you know, trouble outside the ground, you know, there were people making all sorts of noises and saying all sorts of things that in the end, we should never really have worried about. It was a noisy minority we were who were trying to stir it up and, and that became apparent very quickly. But, but you do go through that process as a broadcaster, whether it was that or whatever else, other games and what other uh, other things that have been thrown up where you're very conscious of making sure that you're as prepared as you possibly can be and have thought about covering different eventualities. You can't prepare for them because as I said to you at the beginning, it's live. You don't know what's going to happen and your job is to, is to manage that as it unfolds. 99 times out of 100, that's just a sporting event. One in 100, it might be something a little bit more than that. And you just have to make sure you're you're able to cope with and deliver that moment in a way that people feel enhances it, explains yeah. it, makes it a better experience for them. That's that's what it is. So so I've been often been asked, how do you not swear? How do you not get caught? You know, the answer is it that just is not part of the thought process because because it isn't me being a hundred percent me. It's me being the commentator. I am. It, it's really hard to explain. I find it hard to explain this sometimes, which is interesting considering what I do for a living. But uh, it it is me. It is real. It is absolutely the emotion. But it's the act part of it is that you are portraying how you see it through the viewer's eyes. And you are very consciously thinking about what you're doing. You don't do that in your day to day. When you're watching, when I'm watching a match at home with my son or my daughter, <laughs> like I'll light the room up with bad language because I because I become emotionally engaged with the game. When I'm commentating, I am emotionally engaged with the game, but I'm I'm also emotionally engaged with my performance, and that stops you. That is a whole different mindset when you're emotionally engaged with your performance. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. Great way of putting it. Um, well, I'm glad you make sense to you because sometimes <laughs> it makes none to me. No, yeah. I, I, I I got it anyway. I don't <laughs> listen. There's people listening that they're gonna listen. They're gonna listen. Like I, I understood. <laughs> I'm sure most of them did. But just to pick up on a point you made there, because sure. like obviously it's it's a big day, but it's a big. Those days are big days for everyone. And you think of 2007 Crow Park, like. I, I know RT did a fantastic job on those days. Everyone will tell you that, but there must be a team element to it as well. The fact that you can kind of, like you obviously have your co-commentators there, you have pundits who, you know, if you're in the studio, you'll be mixing with them for the whole day. There's probably a, a team vibe towards it as well, I suppose, is there? There is an enormous team vibe towards it. Um, like, I think... Uh... Like it's a it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. You're only as good as the team around you, and and the co-commentator absolutely plays an enormous role in my comfort, discomfort, or approach to a game. The studio presenter and panelists add to it very much so, but from a purely selfish commentary perspective, don't really have an impact. They do have an impact on the on the editorial and what, what they've pointed the viewer to. And as a commentator, you have a responsibility to try and see that narrative through. Generally, that's been talked about during the week. 
what are the important parts of this game? Who are we focusing on? Why are we focusing on it? Is it Munster defence, Leinster attack, Connacht's discipline, whatever, whatever Ulster is this, whatever it might be. Um, but from a, this, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, from a selfish perspective, the co-commentator absolutely has a role. But the bit that 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 people, from my perspective, remember. So there's two elements here. There's the there's the day to day commentary of a regular URC or Champions Cup match, or or even a regular Six Nations match, and that very much is that team bit. Me and the co-com, and there have been some guys that I there's some guys I absolutely adore working with, and there are one or two where I see them and I go, oh no, this is going to be tricky because because they work in a different way to the way I feel comfortable. It's nothing to do with their ability. It's just there is that. Uh, relationship and rhythm that you find with a co-commentator but the the selfish bit where it doesn't matter about any of that are the bits that people tend to remember which are the final whistle when Munster win uh O'Gara's drop goal uh Tommy Bow like those those bits they're they're the bits that you know are going to be replayed and they're the bits that you need to be at your peak you need to perform you need to find a way of enhancing those moments that's individual moments in a in a match the actual full piece of the live match is 100% a team effort those selected moments feel more individual from my perspective yeah that that makes a lot of sense too i suppose there is kind of the there's almost a contrast in some ways isn't there there's kind of the yes it's a team but also when you're the one who is talking at any particular moment and you mentioned like the big moments, yeah, like that's who you're listed to. I know like you think 2009, you can hear Tony Ward coming over and, that, and that's, that's a part of it as well as part sure, of, the of course entertainment. But like, again, that is, it's the contrast between team and individual. And then as you say, yeah, kind of and I, listen, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I have worked with and continue to work with some great teams and uh, of people, producers, editors, directors, co-coms, studio presenters, co- like panelists, and 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 there's it's it is regular. It's a regular occurrence where I rock up to do a game and I look around and I go, "Wow, I'm working with him and I'm working with her and I'm working with him," and and you feel like you've got a responsibility to keep your end of the bargain up because you know all of them will, whether they're the editors or directors or presenters or whatever. And we are, we are really lucky in the industry again, whether it's TNT or whether it's sky or whether it's premier, whether it's via player, whether it's channel four, BBC or TE, TG car, there are so many talented people working in front of and behind the scenes. So, so there is a responsibility on you when you show up to one of these productions that you keep your end of the bargain up, you know, Absolutely. Before we kind of move off the mid 2000s, because we kind of looked at Munster and I, I understand like we're still halfway through the Munster stuff, you know, but like Irish rugby was starting to boom. They were winning triple crowns. They were winning on autumn internationals for what felt like basically the first time. But just in that period, kind of pre 2009, have you standout moments, you know, say Crow Park, say autumn internationals again, Pinehink Cup days that and you you can list I've this mentioned a few times you can list fifty I don't really mind but like yeah I I I I guess uh, I guess we've kind of touched on them I mean uh, people regularly ask me I I kind of have I've settled in my head on the best games involving Ireland or Irish teams that I've enjoyed um, 
being at and and then I've got another kind of four or five games that stand out that had no Irish involvement whatsoever that I was lucky uh, to commentate on and the same kind of with players as well I have my four or five favourite players that have played for Ireland and that's not necessarily based on pure ability but on other things and then I have four or five players that so and then the rest kind of it's not that it blurs in it's all the rest is just part of a wonderful thing that I get to do so so the games that that are there are 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 the games that have always been there that Munster first victory in 06 will always stand out because it was the first one albeit that that, that Ulster had won one in 99 but they've won it without um, uh, the English teams in it and so it, it felt a little less complete and that isn't in any way disrespectful it just is what it is yeah. and and 06 was the end of a journey um, and then definitely the, the the Grand Slam game in, in the Millennium stands out you know 07 and then the oh was that 07 yeah that was 07 and then oh, 09 oh, nine, I should say yeah. and then the Crow Park game is uh, is definitely right up there that the women's game in Italy where they're in an absolutely the coldest game I've ever been at in my life the coldest I've ever ever been at a at a game the Grand Slam game in the in the mud in in the Paravaggio with 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 a group of women who I just have nothing but time for as people as well and I've been lucky enough to meet many of them over the years they're just a fabulous fabulous group and were a, they were a real moment in time um game I didn't do that stands out was the Leinster Northampton game in in the final of the of the what was then the Heineken Cup so so those games just are special you know really really special to me and um, and I'm hoping that some of them get replaced over the next 25 years yes. <laughs> hopefully better days are to come you mentioned non-Irish games does any jump out to mind straight away yeah one or two of them without a without a shadow of a doubt there was a brilliant quarterfinal between England and Wales of the World Cup at 2000 in 2003 in Australia uh, and if you haven't seen it you should look it up it was end to end it was just phenomenal there were brilliant try scores England were heavy heavy favourites and Wales gave them a massive fright um, and I did that game believe it or not with Matt Williams as a co-commentator um, and in Australia in, in Brisbane and that is a fabulous memory uh, and then the, one for the bucket list from my bucket list which was to commentate on New Zealand in New Zealand and to do a Rugby World Cup final between New Zealand and France, which wasn't necessarily the, the best game of all time. In fact, it wasn't. Yeah. But as an occasion and being there and having watched and, <laughs> you know, George Hamilton's old saying, a nation holds its breath, his yeah. wonderful commentary line from from the, the Soccer World Cup back in, uh, in 90. Well, I watched a nation have a collective heart attack for for two weeks on the lead up to that final and because because they were just so heavily invested in it and to be in that atmosphere and to watch it when you don't have any skin in the game was something uh, really special uh, to to watch and to be involved in and 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 to be involved in a New Zealand rugby world cup was just uh, really lucky really really lucky and then there have been a couple of other games six nations games Predominantly France England matches uh, uh, back in in the early noughties uh, and mid noughties, which were which were really good. Um, so yeah, there's there's loads of loads of loads of goods, loads of goods. That's, that's there's good. a couple of bad ones as well. <laughs> we won't get into that. Though, we, will, we can. I'll tell you the worst of the lot. And I only had this conversation with James Tracy recently, the former Leinster hooker. Leinster played Zebra 
maybe four years ago in the yeah. lashing rain and beat them 3 0. It yeah. was the worst 85 minutes of commentary ever delivered by anyone ever. It was so bad, the whole thing. Anyway, that's the worst. Just, that's the other extreme. It's it's not often Leinster on the worst list, considering all the Oh, no, won, man. It was. It they were, it, like, they were awful. Zebra were awful. And I'm pretty sure I was awful as well. It was one of those that you go, you know what? We'll just put that one down to experience and walk away. <laughs> I suppose. Um, we, we have to jump into 2009 for a minute because, like, you talk about a nation holds its breath. I don't think a nation has ever seen a ball fly so slowly as Stephen Jones is kicking Cardiff that day. It felt like it was in the air forever. Yeah. Like a game like that, again, the nerves, like the, is there a nervous factor because you're going over there doing it again? It's going to be huge. But Ireland had so much heartbreak before that. Like it must be somewhat yeah. daunting as well. Yeah, there's there are nerves every single week, and if you if there aren't, then there's something wrong. I've never not like this. this sometimes I get ridiculously nervous, even on what I would describe as a very straightforward game. What it all has in common, though, is once I start, it's over, and it doesn't matter whether it's a, a an enormous occasion or whether it's a run of the mill round nine URC in November. Like it really doesn't. Um, because it's a, it's a job and 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 you're in your rhythm and you have done your prep and you and you just try to get on the wave and ride it uh, as best you can. Um, so I wouldn't say that there were addition. There are no additional nerves other than as the only time I can really put my hand on my heart and say there were additional nerves was Munsters 2006 because I hadn't done a game that big before. And the Ireland Croke Park game, because I was afraid of what I didn't know would happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was afraid of the external stuff. Yeah. Um, so they're the only two times that I felt a different type of nervousness. The rest of the time, that ebbs and flows, depending, I guess, on whether I feel overly prepared or not prepared or whether I've thought about it or it just gets into your head and you can get nervous for no particular reason. Um I, I can't quite explain to you why that 2009 Grand Slam game, um, the Stephen Jones. It's funny you should say that. That was there's a pause. There's a pause for me on that because I'm over on the other side. I'm over on the camera side as you're looking. So as you're looking across, and Stephen Jones is over on the far left by the players' tunnel, and that kick goes, and we're side on to the to the posts. And I'm like nine times out of 10 and the, the, the director stayed side on. He didn't go behind or she didn't yeah. go behind. And I wasn't sure. And I knew how big a moment it was. I was going, you need to be sure here. You can't go. Yeah. It's, oh, no, it's not. It, oh. No, like, and I, I wasn't sure it wasn't going to make it. And I had to, I actually paused for a moment just until I saw that it was definitively hadn't got there, even though I, my gut said it hadn't. It was one of the few times where I went, this is a time to be 100% sure, not 99.9% yeah. sure. So uh, it's interesting you should say that one because I can remember it particularly going, oh man, just be sure here. Yeah. Silence is probably golden at very, at some stages then as well, like because obviously that's only a momentary pause that you probably don't even notice if you're listening. But like, as you said, you do want to be right. Yeah. 
I, I, silence is an interesting one. Different people have different views on it. I've tried to use my the ability to shut up um, um, on occasions. I've, I've definitely said I'm not going to say anything now. Just listen on uh, numerous occasions in commentaries when when a um, I don't know monster in the middle of the fields of Athenry and a big you know when they're when they're at wood as a as a red army abroad um, generally. Um, and then you, when a big moment comes in a game, you try to say the line and then step back and put your hand across your co-commentator and just say, "Wait, just give it, give it that five seconds that gives a sense of something at home that people at home feel connected into the into the stadium." Um, so yeah, and then and then you don't want to be too silent either because because you're there not to be silent. <laughs> yeah. so it's trying to. It's trying to walk that tightrope. I, I, I've no doubt that it's an individual thing for people. Some people will say, I talk too much. Then I can't say that that's unfair. And some people will say, I get it right. That yeah. doesn't mean they're right. Um, commentary is one of those things that uh, you just do what you do and you hope that you engage the majority of the audience because you're absolutely not going to engage the entire audience because it's not possible to keep everybody happy. And and it is a pretty subjective thing for people. They will like some commentators and dislike others for no other reason than, I eh, just don't like his voice or eh, he just annoys me or eh, she's annoying. You know, yeah. and you're like, and I, you you have to accept that and that's, that is okay. And it, and it is that frivolous that people go, oh, I just don't like him, he's, and then, then you say why, and they go, "I don't know, I just don't." Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's okay. That's it's okay. life. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's that kind of job. If you're going to be sensitive about it, do you know what the one thing is? The one thing oh. is when I started in '99, all the way, I, I, I was, I, I joined Twitter. I saw it recently in 2011. To that, going to the 2011 Rugby World Cup, and I'm guessing most people kind of got in there 2010, 2011, 2012. And I had 10 years of settling in where I didn't hear that white noise of people saying he's rubbish, he's crap, he's, you know, and, and I was, yeah. no doubt I was learning on the job. I, I've no doubt about that. So so that was a good thing. I didn't have to deal. Guys and girls that are starting out now, when they do something and they punch their name into Twitter or they look on Twitter, they're getting a very, very... Uh, tricky reaction to to what they do and and I feel for them because because it's brutal you know nobody yeah. likes being told they're rubbish no one likes being told that they that they're not liked and it's it's a it's a not a particularly pleasant place to be and blocking that white noise out and re- recognizing that it is a minority of people and generally with an axe to grind <laughs> that are that are going to post in these circumstances uh that's hard. It's really, really hard. I didn't have to deal with that for 10 years. And by the time it rolled around, I was like, yeah, I've kind of made my decision. I'm going to do it anyway. So yeah. I, I was a bit hardened to the, to the criticism when it started to come, you know, and it does come. That's okay. Yeah. And it might be better off to be honest. It might, might be way better off than to, just to not have a plenty of players. They have Instagram. They don't have Twitter, for example, because they just, they know their name is in there about 17 times in a 10 minute spell of a match. And they have no interest in seeing it. And, you know, maybe they're better off in that example. I think it's, 
Yeah, it's really, really hard. Back in the day, the former, the guy who I said to you was my mentor, Tim O'Connor, kind of, there was plenty of newspaper TV reviews and stuff like that that you'd read and people would have an opinion and that was really where the opinions came from. And he always said to me, read it, understand it, rip it up and put it in the bin. Doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. Read it, understand it, rip it up and put it in the bin. It's one person's opinion. So if they think you're wonderful, you're probably not that wonderful. And if you think, if they think you're rubbish, you're probably not that rubbish, you know? It's, it's a great outlook. I want to just talk about the world feed versus the, I suppose, national feed, national broadcaster. Because 2009, you were at RTE. There is literally millions of people watching. And I'm sure, you know, Hugh Cal has gone through this and others, Dave McIntyre. And during this World Cup in particular, but you did the world feed for the Ireland England game, a Grand Slam game at home on Lansdowne Road, huge day. How does that compare for you? Because like, you're going out to a bigger audience, but it's not necessarily not everyone is going to be Irish. Like sure, and and that and and it's a really good question. Knowing your audience is part of the gig, and so so in Ireland and in French rugby, I think there is a a comfort for commentators and broadcasters that 99% I'm making up percentages, but some of the best percentages, 75% of them are, are good uh, numbers made up on the spot. Uh, whatever percentage of the audience, a significant proportion of the audience are in Ireland and France watching the game through the eyes of wanting Ireland and or France to win, whether they're in France or whether they're in Ireland. In the UK, it's a lot more complicated because you could be in and there's Scottish and Welsh and, and, and English viewers and it, you've got to tread a, a far more uh, straight line. So objectivity is really important, but also recognising your audience is important. So for me, I always, when I was working on RTE or for Virgin or for a predominantly Irish audience, it was about watching it through that majority audience's eyes. It's no different on the world feed, except you know that the majority isn't. So you've got to find the middle. Now, there's a school of thought that if you're Irish, you shouldn't be commentating on Ireland on the world feed, or if you're Australian, you shouldn't be commentating on Australia on the world feed. It just doesn't work out that way. The balance is that generally the co-commentator is from the other country. So so that Ireland-England match I did with Dowie Morris, formerly of Sky and, and former English international. So that kind of balances up those voices from a from a neutral perspective. There's one from both sides, even though the commentator really shouldn't be bringing too much of their own personal um, agenda to it. So so you do go in with a very different, but it, it was no different to the Leinster-Munster games uh, over the years, particularly the Leinster-Munster games. And I always knew I was okay when I got abused equally by Leinster and Munster supporters <laughs> for being one-eyed in the opposite direction. So if I came off and all the Leinster guys were going, you're just Munster dressed up, and Munster guys were giving me of dog's abuse for being a Leinster supporter, I went home and had my glass of wine comfortable in the knowledge that I probably hit it right down the middle. Yeah. <laughs> as a as a Munster fan who was at the Aviva Stadium game and watched it back afterwards with yourself, and I think it was Stephen Ferris and John Barkley back in May, I think it was. I think he hit it out of the park, but we did win, so of course I'd say that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other side of it. But I suppose it's just about now at this stage, just looking back because we've mentioned so many great games. There's probably 150 other ones that we could get into. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I suppose Six Nations deciders, Pining Cup finals probably jump out, to be honest, just from just 
spitballing here. Um, are they the ones that kind of would have made you sit up? I know you mentioned the Monster one in, in 06, but like 08, it was highlights. So there's probably a different feel to that. And then you take a 2015 against Scotland. Yeah, Ireland think they're in the Six Nations, but it could have went differently if England France went. Like, it, they're probably such a balancing act into these things as well. Yeah, there's a balancing act. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I think surprises people maybe a little is that you 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 tend to move on from them pretty quickly. You know, like there are those standout games and there are those standout moments, but but. Like I've done, I think I've done, I was counting it up the other day. I've done 25 commentaries already this season or 24 commentaries already this season. So you move on pretty quick to the next one. And, yeah. and part of the, part of the, uh, the routine is to try and forget the uh, 46 names that you learned last week and put another 46 in uh, for this week and try and come up with a different angle on and your approach that you don't become stale and you don't get yourself into uh into into territory that you don't want to go to so it's it, you know i i i have those moments that that are special and then i have lots of other moments that when i go back and look at something i go oh that reminds me that was good but i don't it's just i guess i guess your brain can only uh, or my tiny brain can only carry around so many <laughs> great memories and and then the rest sort of fade away a little bit but yeah. but but when you bring them back up you go oh yeah i remember that like you just said the scotland thing there i completely forgot about that that was a great day that was a brilliant day that was a that was a weird day i think that's what yeah. that was because there yeah, was just this oh this you win the six stations it's great but you're sitting around and you're waiting and it's like okay can england kick the ball or can france kick the ball out here and they try to run it and you know it's such a as a fan, it was horrible in some ways, but it was yeah, great, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's there's plenty of games like that, I suppose. Like you think of, you know, Ireland winning six stations, Ireland losing six stations as well on on final days. That's happened as well, you know. Yep. And of course, there's been lost finals for for Munster and for Leinster and and the likes, and it's that's what makes it fun. The Guinness Six Nations is probably, as you said, kind of routine, apart from a couple of days, and hopefully. We will have the couple of days where it gets a little bit more special. I'm looking at that Scotland game on Paddy's weekend. No, don't weekend. get me wrong. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. It's not routine. It's not routine. It, it, it definitely isn't routine. The Six Nations and the November Internationals are a step up. It, it's, it's that, it's that. Like I'll be doing some non-Ireland matches, and you go and you enjoy them. And I sound like I'm spoiled. I, I genuinely don't mean it to come across. That. And the way you said that back, I'm, I'm actually hearing myself going. It's not routine. It's just. It's the gig. And so I will go and do Italy, Scotland, and I will enjoy absolutely every minute of being in Rome doing Italy against Scotland. And then I'll move on to the next one, which I'll enjoy immensely as well. So, so, and I will enjoy the Guinness Six Nations beyond, like, it's the best seven weeks of the season. Bar a World Cup, without a shadow of a doubt. Love them. Love November. Love the Six Nations. Love the closing stages in April, May, June of the of the domestic competitions. It's an absolute, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not routine as in, yeah. well, here we go again. It's just, it is, it, you just get on with it, you know? Yeah. I suppose, I suppose you did mention Ireland England games are the ones that make you perk up. Probably you add like New Zealand to that, I suppose in the November, like they always feel different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you can you can add you can add any of the southern hemispheres. Um, well, I guess Australia falling off the falling off the wagon a little bit. I, I don't subscribe to the view that the Lions are going to go down there next year and and have it all their own way and win all the tests and win all the. I, I just don't see that. I think Australia will get their act together. They're a very proud nation. They will not allow that to happen. I really don't see it. Um, but yeah, uh, by and large, Ireland, South Africa, Ireland, New Zealand, Ireland, England, Ireland, France in the last couple of years have become the four games that you look forward to the most. But these things will be cyclical and Ireland will go through a bad patch and Scotland or Wales will come again and Australia will come again. And, you know, they they enjoy the good days while they're there because they, they by the very nature of things, they can't last forever and we'll go through a, a lull and, and hopefully we'll build again off the back of that, you know. Absolutely. We will just look ahead really, really quickly to the Six Nations because it's the start of our Six Nations coverage here this week. And listen, it's it's so poised in a weird way because France without Dupont, Ireland without Johnny Sexton is retired, Owen Farrell's left England, a bunch of players have, have left the Welsh system and, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. How do you see it unfold? I know you, you said you don't give your opinion on telly too much. Ah, yeah, no, no, but I'm here, happy to have you a chat fire with you and I. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. That's, this is a different thing altogether. Um, I, 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 It's back to that old, two, there's two issues here. There's two issues at hand. One is the momentum issue, which is always so important, getting off to a, a fast start, a winning start. And then the second issue is, uh, is player health and welfare and, and how healthy your squad is. Um, and there are, as you say, there have been some withdrawals and there are some retirements and there are also some pretty key injuries. As good as Ireland have got, we, you feel that the depth, if we go down two or three players in certain positions, leaves us a little barer than you would like us to be. There's some positions we can handle that, but there are others that we can't. Um, and, and then when that starts to happen, you look at France and England and go, they can handle it in a way that the other uh, four nations can't handle it. Uh, it's it is after the 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 six nations, the year after Alliance and the year after uh, World Cup, always kind of feel a little bit different, um, and after World Cup in particular, um, because people are starting new cycles. Is the hangover of the either excitement or disappointment. Uh, I think it's too tough to call if I was being, if I was being uh, gunned to head and get it wrong and you're gone, I would say France. Yeah. France for me. Um, I think England will be better. I think Scotland will go well. I think Wales won't go well. Uh, I hope Italy do better than they, than they have done. Um, I was really disappointed with them in the world cup, like really yeah. disappointed. Um, and I, just don't know where we are. I don't yeah. know where we are. So, so it's really hard to call. I'm sitting on the fence. If you were, if you, I, I think Ireland will finish second in the Six Nations. That's kind of what I have in my head. And I will toss and turn and change. Yeah. About, except, like, <laughs> I remember I did a podcast with Jeff Neville, the loose head, um, at the week of the France game last year. And I was like, well, if we don't win, but if we do win, and I was just tossing and turning. And it'll be the same way this year. The only difference is in round two, um, do we have France against Scotland in round two? I'm not 100 sure. That's probably uh, the one that you're looking at. That's yeah. probably the one you're looking at. You're like, oh, France could slip up in Murrayfield again for whatever whatever amount of times it's been now. Um, and that's Who kind knows? of the one. 
where will we catch you for those who are listening on the world feed or do you know yet yeah yeah i'm that list stands it's uh sky new zealand stan sports in australia super sport in south africa flow sport in the united states premier sports in asia uh, and wherever your local station is <laughs> if you're not in ireland or the uk perfect i'm sure because we do have non-irish residents listeners plenty of them so i'm sure they'll be looking forward to hearing it ryan thank you very much for coming on it has been a pleasure it always is and i hope you enjoyed the six nations and and the rest of the season i know there's been plenty of games so far but six nations as you said is is that little bit of a step up so thanks very much for coming on absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you for taking me in and it's it's been a pleasure for for myself as well and remember everyone this is just the latest edition of exciting series the interviews will keep coming and we also have our extensive fan-led Six Nations coverage, which started this week with our tournament preview, with previews and reviews of each of Ireland's games coming up. But for now, and until next time, please do like and subscribe, but take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.